Welcome to Web of Tomorrow. I'm Adam Garrett Harris, and today I've got a special guest from the other podcast again from Book Bites. This is Jason Staten. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. So, how's it going? It's it's going pretty well. I have enjoyed being on the on the Book Bites podcast with you and Jen and Safia, and that has certainly kept me busy recently. I've uh, been doing lots of studying in in the rust realm to uh try and bring the concepts over to a, a little bit more concrete terms for me using rust as my background on it so it's it's been fun and keeping me busy that's cool yeah i'm looking forward to that um so the reason i have you on the show today is to talk about well yourself and your background a little bit but also the fact that you teach at a boot camp and what that's like and why you teach and just different things about boot camps, you know. Sure. So, what? Uh, I guess what is your background with a boot camp, and how did you get involved, and what's the name of it? Sure. Yeah, I am an instructor at Dev Mountain, which is in Provo, Utah. At least one of their their campuses is, and I have been teaching there for two years, and I've primarily been been teaching students there how to. Um, read from and build up SQL databases. And I initially got involved in teaching there through a neighbor of mine. I I happened to live across the street from a developer named Jeremy Robertson. And while he was living across the street from me, he got a job as the director of of web at, at Dev Mountain. And when he got that, he was telling me about the program one night when I was over. And he had mentioned that Dev Mountain was teaching MongoDB. And um, I, I have some history with MongoDB, and I'll, I'll try and keep my opinions down here. But um, I did know one thing, and that was that uh, relational databases are really the, the top used database that, that's out there. And so my, my thought was, why are, why are you teaching students something that they're likely not going to interact with when, when they hit their first job and so I told them you should teach these students SQL like they they need to learn SQL so teach them SQL Jeremy and he kind of flipped the tables on me and he said Jason you should teach them SQL and so that's that's how I initially got involved at, at teaching at Dev Mountain I, I started off with a one-hour why SQL type of course where I would come in and in an hour time frame try and give students a quick introduction to how to how to write some basic SQL and also the benefits that they can get from it by organizing their data as well as constraining it and using it when they're building out a web application and that went over pretty well well enough that uh, they decided at Dev Mountain to adopt SQL as part of their core curriculum and it was expanded to giving me three days of of three hours to to teach SQL as well as interfacing that with Node to Dev Mountain students. And so that's what I've been doing since then. So what exactly is MongoDB and what's the difference between that and a relational database? So MongoDB is a document database where you would store 
Um, you might say like, like a JSON object up in it and then retrieve that object back by key or there is a query language for MongoDB. And relational databases on the other hand are built with the notion of uh, rows and, and columns and, and tables as their, their core data structures versus I believe uh, Mongo calls them uh, collections and documents. And a core difference between the two of them is that with a SQL database, you create a schema first, saying that every row in this table is going to have these five columns in it, and every age column in, in the five columns is going to be an integer. And you define that up front, so your data on every row is is consistent. Whereas in in Mongo, that schema is more of an implicit thing. Like generally, you put the, the same thing in for each document, but it doesn't live, or that requirement doesn't live as part of the database, but rather in the application that's interfacing with it. So why, why do you think they were teaching Mongo instead of the the thing that most of the market is using? I I think uh, first. Uh, probably at the time that it was introduced, MongoDB and and NoSQL had a lot of push from from the hype cycle on, on that front, and uh, I, I also think that um, I mean when you think about it, like if if these students are learning JavaScript and they are um, wanting to persist information from Java, JavaScript, why not store it in terms of JavaScript objects, so just JSON. And so um, in, in terms of the like mental leap, I, I would say like the familiarity that can come from Mongo, what was a positive on that front? But um, I think that it may have, have pushed them in a direction of learning something that, that they were less likely to use when they were in industry. Gotcha, so has it been harder to teach them SQL because it's more of a, a leap from JavaScript? I, I would say definitely that that has been a, a challenge to to work through with students. Um, one one of the, the hurdles to overcome is uh, before I can I can teach students about using a SQL database from JavaScript, I first need to get them, uh, knowing at least some part of of what SQL is and and how to write it, because if you can't write SQL, then you can't write it inside of your JavaScript to hit the database from it. And so um, that's that's been a challenge for me. And one of one of my goals as I've been improving the course has been uh, trying to cut down the time that it takes between learning the basics of SQL and being able to use it within Node so they can kind of bridge that gap because that really is the moment that, that it does start to click for students of, oh, I see how this can apply to to my Express web app. Okay, so, so at first, are they just playing around with SQL in, in some program that's just doing SQL to learn the concepts and then you actually get them as quickly as possible using it inside of a node app? Yeah, that's that's the approach that, that I shoot for. I actually put together a little tool called Chinook, which uses a predefined database 
that was built by Microsoft that has a whole bunch of rows in it with uh, a semi-structured set of tables. I, I don't know exactly how many rows. There's there's probably a good 10,000 rows in, in, the, in all the tables. So that like a big enough set of data that you can actually do real queries against. And um, I bundled it up into an application that's available at uh, chinook.ml. And you can go and write SQL directly in your browser. And um, you can do it. You can write SQL directly in your browser by using a SQLite engine that has been compiled down to JavaScript by some impressive folks on GitHub. And then you can write SQL right there in your browser without having to do any additional setup. And, and from there, I get them the introduction into several different types of queries that they may want to write. And then it's actually on the second day that I have them actually start interacting with Postgres from, from Node which requires a little bit more setup, but um, that I think is when it, it starts to click is after they have kind of the baseline in SQL, they, they realize how they can start using it. Gotcha. Yeah. So I remember at one point you had me test out a set of instructions you had for getting set up. Is that before you discover this online thing? So I, I still have them use those instructions. They are what's in use on the start of, of day two. Okay. And it's a step-by-step -step guide of getting a Postgres database set up on Heroku. And there are pictures on every step of the way with big pink arrows to say, click this, click this. And I actually created it and tested it against a few of, of my family and, and friends to some who were technical, some who were not technical, to see how somebody who didn't really know what they were getting into could do with getting it set up. And, and most people were able to get it set up within 10 minutes or less, which was uh, my, my definite goal with that, is to make it fast so they could get on to writing SQL rather than worrying about setting up a database. Wow, I'm, I'm impressed. So how'd, tell me how the experience went when you watched not your non-technical friends and family try this? They followed along just by looking at the picture and filling out the form that it pointed to and, and clicking on the option it said to. It, it was pretty hard to get wrong other than in some cases where the window wasn't full-sized, Heroku did some responsive sizing and so sometimes buttons were in a slightly different location. But even then they were able to, to problem solve. And while it, uh, it took a little bit of work to get right, it was a big help to my, to my course. One of the, the things that I ran into early on during the, uh, the full three-day course, three course process was students were, were originally setting up Postgres on their own machines, and they would each one of them would install it differently. And... So one student would have installed it through Homebrew on their Mac, and one student would install it through some random installer on, on Windows. And the experience was totally different for all of them. 
And by having them all go through the same flow of, of setting it up on Heroku, everybody was able to have the same experience regardless of, of platform. And, and so like that, that saved, I would say almost 40 minutes of, of debugging machine setup on, on day three. So it, it, it was a dramatic improvement in terms of getting to the content with the students rather than having them go through the exercise of setting up a database and dreading databases from then on out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an interesting point. Are you, are you kind of trying to instill maybe not so much knowledge, but some sort of passion or love of this or just, Hey, you can figure this out or Hey, you can do this some sort of sense of accomplishment rather than concrete skills. I would say my major goal was was keeping the the scope of it of it small so it could be focused and and like you said getting a feeling of accomplishment because uh, fighting with like getting authentication errors that are from a, a system that that you haven't used before and you set up a password that was either automatically generated for you or one that you forgot um, can can definitely be a downer and and rather um, getting to the point where um, the maybe the, the day before the students were, were writing express apps and and reading objects out of memory to um, the following day being able to read out of a database and and hand it back as a JSON API that they're starting to feel like they're building real services rather than just toy projects and and I definitely think that um, that that gets the students excited as well as a step closer to being prepared for industry. So where, where did you get the idea of getting different people to test out your, your instructions? It's, it's like you're doing usability tests on people. So an inspiration for me on, on improving my course actually came from a another podcaster, uh, his name is Reuven Lerner, and he is a sometimes panelist on on the Freelancer Show. And in some episodes, he's talked a lot about improving his courses and trying out new things and and finding environments that that he could test out new new concepts and new approaches at, at solving something or or making an exercise easier. And I really liked a lot of his his feedback on and on how to do that or a lot of his recommendations for example uh, one of the things that that he does after any course that that he gives is that he does a post-lesson survey to ask students what they thought about the course or how it could have been improved or if there were questions that weren't answered so that way the next class of students that that he teaches he's able to answer those questions on his own or structure an exercise around sol- solving that problem. So that way students aren't, aren't caught on, on the same issue every time he goes through. And, and so being in the mode of, of constant improvement of your course can really make a big difference as, as you progress through it. Like you, you see these same, same things that people run into over and over. And if you're doing surveys to find out what student perspectives are, um, I, I also will, uh, 
take a notebook with me sometimes and and write down things that students run into. Um, I, I would actually take notes on my laptop, but my screen's often visible right there, and so um, I don't want them to watch me taking notes on them. But um, that also has has helped make make the course more more efficient. And I still have a long ways to go. I, just looking even at my uh, previous week's survey. Nice. So how do you measure success? Because I think it'd be easy to see students struggling and think that you're failing as a teacher or to see students accomplishing a task easily and thinking, thinking you're doing well as a teacher. But maybe sometimes the struggle is what helps them learn. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I would say uh, one, one of my, my best measures is um, first seeing the student who on on the first day is is maybe struggling a little bit with it and being able to give them give them some additional pointers and and by the third day having them asking questions that are a little bit more in depth meaning that they they actually dug in further or they use those resources and and also um, one one great thing about teaching at Dev Mountain for me is I'm doing it about every six weeks, and so when when I go back there af- after six weeks, a lot of times I get interactions with students who are asking me six weeks later about more advanced concepts, and they are excited ab- about about using SQL, and and you can see that that it has benefited them for for building out their their own little personal projects that they've been working on. So. Seeing seeing the excitement about it is uh, is a good sign for me because one one early piece of feedback that I've that I actually saw before on the course was that uh, they they liked my teaching style and they said unfortunately the topic is just boring and so <laughs> yeah and and so um, I I guess there wasn't an immediate action thing to take in there but there, there was also something to be said that. Uh, that maybe maybe my my passion was lacking and and I actually um, had a a video of myself from Dev Mountain and I and I saw myself on uh, some of the end days getting a little bit more uh, I would say speaking a little bit softer maybe getting a little bit more exhausted after getting into that third hour of the day and um, I kind of used that as a reminder of myself of. Hey, you gotta. You have to maintain this excitement for the whole time that you're going through this. Because I mean, I I am genuinely excited about teaching SQL. I mean, that's why I do it. And if I if I did get tired of it, I would I would definitely stop. But uh, I may have let that dwindle a little bit. And so that's one thing I've tried to to step up from that specific piece of feedback. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it can be hard to maintain a level of of excitement up in front of a bunch of people because. A lot of times the audience doesn't show any level of excitement, but but that doesn't mean they're bored or disengaged, you know. Um, and and they want they want to see that excitement from from the person up front, and and they'll they'll feel it, you know, even if even if they're not showing it. I think that's something I need to get better as an audience member is showing that I'm engaged. And I think every student has has their own way of, of engagement where 
some students will will get more question heavy and and because they're excited about the topic they're learning so they want to pull as much out as they can and and that is that is an awesome approach whereas other students have to get quiet so they can sometimes think about and and i guess ponder over over the things that, that they've been learning maybe maybe toy with it a bit on their own and um so yeah i i, I definitely get uh different feedback from from different groups just by by looking over the class i think one uh one good approach or, or one good in, improvement that uh that i added in was was taking a i take about a 15 minute break during that three hour course and during that time some students will get up and go and and get on their feet play some ping pong downstairs or or go get a drink or cruise twitter and some students will will stick around and and ask me questions that maybe they didn't want to ask in front of the whole class so it kind of provides a little bit more personal interaction that uh lets me whether elaborate on a topic for them or um, give them like a specific link and uh, make makes makes it a little bit more high touch rather than it being simply like me presenting and um, I, I think that 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 has been a uh, a great improvement is just adding in a a break letting people think about it letting people come up, come back with a question that they want to ask that that they thought of during the break or discussed during the break. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. So, uh, I want to step back in time a little bit and ask, you know, what was it like the very first time you got up in front of, of these students and, and started teaching? Um, like what were you, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? And, and, and why, why did you agree to do it? So uh, I think I'll answer the, the first question, or, sorry, the last question first being that I, I agreed to do it because it is, it's something that, that I care about teaching students and, and getting them the, the best knowledge pieces that they can have, have going into industry. They, they've only got 13 weeks of, of study time at, at Dev Mountain. And so spending it with, with the best material that they can get helps make them uh, the most well-suited they can be. As for going in my first time, it uh, was, was certainly in- intimidating to go and get uh, a mic put on me and and having, when they when I first was going, every time they would, they would have a pretty big camera that was pretty close to my face. So I was like, everything is being watched. How and- close to your face? Um, so if, if you think about maybe a three or four foot desk, and then on the other side of that, there was like a tripod that was kind of off to the side of it. So it didn't actually block my view of students, but it was right there. And yeah, were you like, don't, don't look at the camera. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm, I'm sure I probably did, or it may have seen, seen me like zone off or something, but, uh, it, yeah, definitely intimidating uh, and a, a little bit of a, imposter syndrome feel to it but um at the same time I, I like i knew that i had prepped i prepped way more material than than i needed and i mean that's something that that i have gradually cut back 
but um, I I also know that uh, being being a developer kind of is at at my core. Um, one of the things that I spent too much time on was building out that that web-based tool to go and and write SQL against. While it is beneficial and, and I've enjoyed using it for the course, it also was my mindset of I can use technology to go and solve this course problem for me. When in fact that's that's really not the the answer to it. Like it was a tool to help teach, but it was not the tool that did teach or, or that teaches on its own. And so um, I, I think part of me was just thinking like. I don't want to build content. Like I want to build web apps, but I, I think now, I, like I see the where it, it has value versus um, just saying go in here and, and play around with it. Yeah. And yeah, I always find it weird using a microphone in a room because your voice is like out there in the room, and it feels like you have no idea how you look or feel to other people. Or how you look or sound yeah have you gotten used to that so um i now when whenever they're not recording i've actually gotten over using a mic or i i guess i sorry i, I don't use a mic anymore unless they are recording and um i have learned to kind of get my voice to to fill the room which i think has has been good for showing my excitement a bit more and it's also given me some some good practice there have been a few days where there's been an air conditioner that that's been running for a good 30 minutes during a class and sometimes that's been a bit to battle and um at the same time i i think overall that's actually helped me with with being able to speak for a longer period of time and not have have my voice totally get exhausted it still happens now and then that i i don't balance my my water consumption out just right and we'll get a a dry throat occasionally <laughs> and i usually try and get that wrapped around a break so then i can say hey let's take a break while i get a drink and and recoup my my vocal cords and uh make it through Cool. So, uh, what are what are your thoughts on on boot camps in general? Because I know you got a computer science degree. You didn't go to a boot camp. Yeah, I I would say that boot camps are worth it for students that traditional school might not be. There there are different people from different backgrounds all there. There are some some students that are there that they have a degree maybe in some other field and they're looking to get their foot in the door by going through a program that lets them do it as, as quickly as possible and and lets them get a, a quick foundation and other students just don't don't think that they would fare well in, in a long long-term program which i can i can understand because i know at some four-year degrees like you go and you learn something at, at the start of your your college career, and by the time that you're done, the things that you're learning may not be relevant, and um, or the things that you learned early on might not be. And and so um, I think that boot camps are a they're a, a viable option for 
for those that uh, that other programs don't don't work out for. And I think uh, probably the biggest benefits that can come from it is that it it really does build a habit of continual learning. These students are constantly bombarded with, with new topics that they have to take on. And every day they're, they're faced with something new. And if they don't understand it, they have to go home and they have to learn about it and they have to dis- discuss it with peers because they, they've got to keep up. Like the boot camp doesn't, doesn't slow down for them. Like it has, it has a program that, that needs to, to happen. And it's, it's a small window to fit it in only 13 weeks. It, it it'll specifically at Dev Mountain, it's only 13 weeks. And I think, uh, so building that habit is, is definitely core for building out a, a quality developer. I, I would say that if you are, are not a person who likes to spend time learning new concepts all the time, that development may, may not be the best career for you because you constantly have to be picking up on new things or, or you can, you can get behind. And that's actually one reason I'm, I'm glad that we're doing the, the book bites podcast is it, it keeps me having to go and, and study things that, that, uh, I may not have done just on my own is having that. And I, I, I also would say that boot camps offer a, a level of accountability. It, you having other students there can kind of be like having a, a run buddy where if if you don't go and and get there in the morning and and go on that run or if you don't get to to class during that that day like your your buddy's getting that far ahead of you and like and and they will also be there to kind of help you and motivate you and 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 move you along so so everybody can can keep on a, on a really good pace i i would say yeah that's that's nice right like because yeah it's a, there's a bit of a comp, bit of competition there, but you're also helping each other, and also there everyone's kind of going along at the same pace because you're going through this course at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be able to find someone without a boot camp. You might be able to find a beginner programmer, but you don't have the same shared knowledge from the same time from the same teachers. Yeah, I think that's really useful. I do think students that that attend the boot camp do need to recognize that it's often just a foot in the door and it, and it's definitely not a finish line for them. They when when they graduate from the boot camp, they're they're not done working. Like I mean they when they get into industry, they need to definitely continue it at that that same pace of learning rapidly and that way, like when when they get into their first job, like first they're showing that they they truly are are passionate about about that that career, and they're not just relaxing and say, "Well, I made it," because that's definitely not what it means when you graduate a boot camp. It doesn't mean you no. made it. it. It means that uh, now, like you know, it's, whether you would say it's taking the training wheels off, like I mean, you're you're on your own or you're into industry now, and and so. Uh, that's where the real challenge begins. And I think as long as students are realizing that and that it's really a, a resource for, for community and getting questions answered and, and a, a launch pad for, for starting their careers, then I, I, think, uh, I think for some 
some attendees, like it can really be a, a life changer. Yeah, I mean, because you're also not guaranteed to get a job as soon as you get out of boot camp either, right? So it's it's good to have that mentality mm-hmm. of continually wor- learning and working hard. Yeah. I mean, have you seen some cool success stories from students who've graduated? I, I guess as a specific story, I, I can't outline. One thing I, I have gotten from teaching is a lot of students have, have gone and connected with me on, on LinkedIn. And so um, for as rare as it is for me to check LinkedIn every now and then when I do, it's always an, an awesome thing to go and see these students showing up with their names beside some company that, that they've made it to. And, and knowing that uh, I gave a small little contribution to to some of them, and and so um, definitely helps me feel good. And it's also nice to see that that the program is working out for for a lot of individuals. I know some uh, boot, boot camps historically didn't have such great track records, and because uh, there was a, a period of time where the, like there was a major spike in in boot camps, and then some of them disappeared and. And Dev Mountain seems to be one that's that's holding out well through them. Nice, yeah. Because I, I feel like you mentioned a boot camp is is a foot in the door, but even your first job is probably just a foot in the door. Once once you've got a a job under your belt for a year or two, then then you can. I think from then on, it's it's easier to find a good job as a developer. Definitely, yeah. That that uh, I I think is something that that they talk to the students about before before they graduate too, is is that um, after after you get your first job and you really start getting that that experience that you can you can put on your resume, then your your education history that you have becomes less relevant and you're not looked at as a oh. Well, they're just a boot camp graduate instead they they are you know they've been a junior junior developer for a few years or like for a year and and like that makes a profound difference in in what your options are for um, moving around in the industry yeah i mean i don't really think anyone cares that i have a computer science degree that was eight years ago eight years ago doesn't really seem that long but in this industry that's 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 ancient history and you know no one cares where your gpa is nope uh, i mean only only for your first job and even that can kind of be kind of be questionable like it it's uh a lot more matters on i guess the the type of person you are the experience you have is is really key i mean that's that's been what's gotten me every every job since my first job has been a basis on the past experience that I had where somebody was asking, Oh, well you, you did this thing. Like, how did you do that? And then being able to have a backstory on that and, and saying like, this is how I figured out that problem. And, and I think it shows, um, real, I guess, real passion and experience on my part. So what can people do who are interested in teaching and that sort of thing? Uh, I would say the biggest thing they can do is 
it's find places to do it, find places to teach others. And there are, are lots of options. There's teaching within your, your own company uh, to your peers. I happen to run a biweekly meetup at, at, at Domo and it's great. The, the technology that, that can service there, uh, getting involved in, in local user groups. If you, if you hit up meetup.com, there's plenty around you, most likely even, even some online groups that you can come across. Um, you can get involved at a, at a local boot camp if you happen to have one nearby. I know uh, that's something you've actually done, Adam, is gone and, and taught a few times at, at, uh, at Dev Mountain. And um, yeah, not, not a lot of commitment to it, just saying like, I wanna teach on this topic. And I mean, can you talk about that experience just a sec? Yeah, I mean, I, I had some extra time and I thought, hey, I wanna try this out. And uh, it was super easy because you know, they, they have students there who want to learn things. And so if someone wants to come and teach something, then they're totally open to that. So I just, I just went and talked about D3 and I think it was kind of an optional thing that they let the students choose if they wanted to go to or not. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty fun and it, it definitely helped improve my skills to be prepared to go there and teach it. Nice. I guess one last thing is if you're not sure on a topic that you want to teach on, there are even training programs that you can get involved with that already have a predefined curriculum that you can benefit students who are, who are new to industry. Um, a couple of specific ones uh, being uh, RailsBridge and Girl Develop It, where they have, they have programs that uh, help underrepresented groups getting into the programming space. And so uh, you can spend your time and using your experience as a developer to uplift those who are, are new into the industry without having to know a specific topic to, to teach. Uh, what, what exactly is RailsBridge? So RailsBridge is a program that uh, will help um, underre underrepresented diverse groups set up their first rails application and and build out a a basic rails app that um i don't know specifically what the program does now like in terms of app but it, it may be like a a building out a blog and doing it over the course of a couple hours for somebody who's who's never programmed before sitting next to a developer who's been doing it in industry and that's kind of the part you can play as a, as a mentor is sitting there and answering their questions showing them how it works so they can feel some immediate success in building out a program. Nice. Yeah, and I know sometimes there are programs in public schools where programmers in the industry can come and teach a class on programming to high school students or whatever, and they don't have to do any of the administrative work or paperwork. There's still an actual paid teacher from the school who's there to take care of discipline and, and paperwork and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I actually did that last year for some fifth graders. We, we went through the code.org program with them and it, it was doing a scratch like program and it was, it was an awesome experience. Once again, to, to have kind of that fast feedback loop and, and get young minds inspired about uh, writing programs. Yeah, Scratch is awesome. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. Well, well uh, where can people find you online? So uh, you can hear more of me talking on on BookBytes. So if you go to orbit.fm, BookBytes is on there. Right now we're going through Imposter's Handbook and we are teaching each other a lot of computer science related topics every two weeks. And uh, I'm also on Twitter at State and Jason. So you can listen to me or catch me talking there too. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening to this episode of Web of Tomorrow. Like Jason said, you can go check out BookBytes as well. And uh, Web of Tomorrow, of course, is on orbit.fm slash Web of Tomorrow. And it's on Twitter at Web of Tomorrow FM. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, thanks. Oh, and, and by the way, you can, you can go and leave a review for this on iTunes. Um, that's, that's not very <laughs> enthusiastic. <laughs> but yes, um, if you want to support the show, you can definitely go leave a review on iTunes, and I would very much appreciate that. That would help people find the show. Thanks. Thanks.